0: Hello and welcome to our
1: Monday Chatter Check-In. I'm Paige. I'm Anna. We hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Anna and I were reminiscing about the opening of the Guggenheim show, Countryside the Future, because it was, I think, this weekend last year. Yes. And we had so much fun and it was actually the last big art event we were able to attend pre-COVID.
0: The last opening. Because we also went to the International Art Fair. Just shoot me down. (laughs) It was not the last event. It was one of one the, of the last. last. Yeah. Uh we also went to flora bar that night, which is like so peace. nice. <laughs> it's gone now. <laughs> um, but yeah, we miss openings a lot and big events. And I just feel like although those things are gone for now, it, like this time we've had has just given us a chance to um go to places we hadn't been before. So this weekend we went to the Rubin Museum in Chelsea, which neither of us had been to before.
1: Yeah, and the Rubin Museum of Art is a dynamic environment that stimulates learning, promotes understanding, and inspires personal connections to the ideas, cultures, and art of Himalayan regions.
0: Yes, and the museum was founded by Shelley and Donald Rubin and opened in 2004. The Rubins began collecting Himalayan art in the mid-1970s. They were actually walking on Madison Avenue and they saw a painting in the
1: window of an art gallery that drew them in. Which is so crazy that just that chance encounter started it all. And once inside the gallery, they learned that the painting was a thinka, hope that's right, (laughs) a Tibetan painting on cloth. Over the ensuing decades, they fell in love with other pieces and their collection grew in depth and scope. The Rubens realized that they had gradually come into possession of significant cultural material from a country and people in diaspora, and they saw the urgency of helping preserve the artworks and sharing them with the world.
0: Yes. In 1995, they established the Shelley and Donald Rubin Foundation to promote social justice, support the arts, and meet urgent human needs, primarily in the Himalayas and New York City. And in 1998, the Rubens purchased the site of the former Barney's apartment store in Chelsea. Then six years later, the Rubin Museum of Art opened to the public, which brought art, cultures, and ideas of the Him- Himalayan region to New
1: York City and beyond. I love this fact that it was a former Barney's department store yes. because I had no clue. And there's a spiral staircase that goes through the middle, and it's really reminiscent of the Barney's in LA, mm-hmm. and also the one that was in Chelsea, yes, which closed. So and maybe, the one in
0: the in Midtown East too. They all have like the they spiral all at the spiral staircase.
1: Yeah. So maybe a museum will open at the Barney's that closed on Seventh. Oh, that would be so which fun. would be so cool. Yeah. Oh, that's a and great so idea. And so close someone, to us. Yes.
0: <laughs> Can someone get on that? Please. <laughs> I love the story of how the Rubin was founded and how it was so personal to one family. It is kind of crazy to think that New York City might not have a museum dedicated to the Himalayan region if it wasn't for the one painting that made the Rubens fall in love with the whole region.
1: I agree. It's so crazy to think about. And our visit was so incredible. I don't think either of us really expected that we would have enjoyed the museum visit as much as we ended up mm-hmm. enjoying it. And we started out by going all the way up to the fifth floor, which houses Masterworks, and then we worked our way down. Two of the floors, I believe two, are under construction right now. Yeah, six and three. Right. But something that shocked us was at the beginning of the exhibition, there's a wall label that says that only 7% of the Rubens collection is on display. Yes. And we often
0: talk about how many things museums keep in storage, but 7% seems like such a low number. And I think another thing that we found interesting is that the museum is very user-friendly. Like you don't have to know anything about museums, art, or like the Tibet region to understand what is going on at the Rubin because everything is super well explained And then at the beginning of the exhibition on the top floor, they have a wall text that explains how to read museum labels for objects and why
1: they are important. I agree. I loved that feature. And then also, even as you go through the galleries, I'm assuming this is a new COVID Mm -hmm. thing, but there are arrows really guiding you throughout the exhibit. So it's very like user-friendly, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Paige
0: and I actually took a class like in college at the Met. I took two. It was crazy. Okay, well, Paige took two. I loved um, it, But the one class I'm referring to, we had to learn how to write museum labels. And it was really hard, and so much thought goes into them, which is something I don't think the public realizes or like really thinks about.
1: So I appreciated that the Rubin explains how they're written and how they're supposed to be read. I agree. I think you see these labels and they're so short and concise and so Mm -hmm. easy to understand. You think that they would be just as simplistic to construct, Mm -hmm. but they're actually very difficult and so much research goes in. Yeah, for sure. And then another thing I picked up on the labels is that some of them are interactive. So they pose a question at the bottom that makes you think about the work more in depth and you can discuss it with whoever you are visiting or just to like reflect on your own. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great way to engage the viewer more with the works, rather than just reading the label, looking at it and moving on. Like it really causes you to stop and pause.
0: I agree. I think the museum as a whole is very interactive and really seeks to educate the public. I think we learned a lot from everything we saw. The fourth floor might have been our favorite and it was the most interactive one because it has modern and contemporary Tibetan works and all of them were very cool.
1: I agree. What I loved about the fourth floor the most was how current it felt. Yes. And I don't think that's something that most people think of when they think of art from the Himalayan. You think of it as more ancient. I agree. Should we highlight some of our favorite works?
0: Yeah, let's do it. I think we have three. The first one is by Sharon Sherpa, a Nepalese artist, and it's titled Wish Fulfilling Tree. The work showcases a bronze mandala put on a pedestal surrounded by debris, found objects, and rubble. The work was done to commemorate the earthquake that occurred in Nepal in 2015, and the mandala in the center is supposed to represent the seven layers of an idealized cosmic universe.
1: The work as a whole is meant to allude to the Nepalese idea of economic compensation after the earthquake, and all of the found objects were collected within five blocks of the Rubin, which brings a local connection to the work. Mm -hmm. I think your favorite object that you pointed out was the Black Tap Burger High. Yeah, it was I like have only been to Black Tap once and I didn't really like it. I've never
0: been. I don't think you'd like it. I don't think I would. I don't think it's for me. <laughs> I feel like it was I got trapped by It's an Instagram trap. Instagram trapped and I fell for it. So um <laughs> yeah. But do you did you have a favorite? I feel like there were so many. There was also like a Mickey Mouse or something. And I remember
1: seeing like a teddy bear. Yeah, that yeah. really stuck in my mind. Mm-hmm. But there's something overall that was just so cool about seeing such a stark difference between the mandala and the debris. Mm-hmm. And the work just really caught both of our attention. And you're able to walk around the entirety of the piece yes. and just notice different details as you move throughout. So it mm-hmm. felt interactive, even though it you weren't did. able to actually touch it, obviously. Yeah, I agree. The
0: second work we really liked is titled Touching of Hands by Genesis Briar P. O'Ridge. And it is meant to fully be interactive, but because of the pandemic, it is temporarily out of commission. And basically, the work consists of a bronze hand that sticks out of the wall, asking the viewer to
1: shake it. And the hand is actually a cast of the artist's hand, and the plaque underneath it says, quote, wisdom can only be passed on by the touching of hands. The work reminded us so much of the Boca della Verita in Rome, mm-hmm. which is a lionhead fountain that you are supposed to put your hand in, and if you lie, it bites your hand off. So although this hand is not trying to bite anyone. (laughs) It really did remind me of the work. And in Rome, there's always a lineup of people waiting. And I feel like in non-COVID times, it would be similar. Mm -hmm. And I love that you're able to touch the work and actually engage with it because it feels... So different from the other works that are in glass cases and feel very protected. Yes, for sure. So the third and last room that we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. was the Tibetan Buddhist shrine room, which provides a real immersive experience. So basically you walk into a room from a side door and art and ritual objects are displayed as they would be in an elaborate private household shrine. This space is used for offerings, devotional prayer, rituals, and contemplation. The design of the shrine room
0: showcases these objects while incorporating elements of traditional Tibetan architecture and the color schemes of the Tibetan homes. It has a display of so many different cultural elements, such as scroll paintings known as tengas, sculptures, ritual items, and musical instruments. They're all arranged on traditional Tibetan furniture, according to the hierarchy they assume in Buddhist practices.
1: And the room has music playing, and there are some stools that you can sit on and meditate on. Mm -hmm. It was a really immersive learning experience, and I think it is one of the most popular exhibitions that the Rubin has done, because people are so eager to learn and explore a new culture, and it felt really special to be able to witness this. Mm -hmm. I was so relaxed when we were in the room. I felt like I could stay there forever. Yeah. It was and there were so many small details Mm -hmm. that even if you weren't in the state of relaxation, just visually looking at all of it, you could spend hours and hours. For
0: sure. I also loved how like music was playing and it was like dim and there were some candles. It just like felt like you were not in new york for a moment exactly but there is so much to see and we obviously can't talk about everything there are more conventional works such as the statues of deities and um, buddhas and bodhisattvas which are incredible and we also there's a room on the second floor i believe that kind of shows you how these sculptures were made so they had like clay and metal
1: and like Different paints, which I thought was really cool. And I think that really goes back to this idea that the museum is there to educate. Yes. And they're teaching you how all these works are made, which Mm -hmm. makes your understanding of the museum as a whole so much deeper than just seeing the works and kind of moving on. And
0: like we talked about, they have things from like centuries ago and then really recent works. Mm -hmm. So it's not just Even video works. Exactly. So it's not just about Tibetan culture like in the past, but like how it is right now, which I think is really
1: important. So we highly recommend visiting. Mm -hmm. It's such an amazing space. I think we both felt very at peace and we will definitely be going back, especially when the new floors reopen. I agree. And before we go, we went to do a restaurant highland
0: of the week. Um, This week we tried a new sushi place called Domo Domo and we loved it.
1: Yeah, we'd been dying to go for a little bit. Mm -hmm. We sat outdoors and it was so warm, but at one point ice fell from the (laughs) building above onto us, but obviously it didn't fall onto us because there was like a roof over our head. And I said kind of loudly that, are we going to (laughs) die? And
0: everyone turned around to look at me. So then everyone in the restaurant was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. So that was great. But it was a really good vibe. And like Peach said, their, uh, their outdoor setting was very warm, which I was very thankful for because when we were waiting to be seated, we were indoors and people kept opening the door. And I feel like I was so cold then, but when we were
1: actually seated, I was fine. This also happened to us at Tiger months ago yeah. where some of these indoor seating setups, they open all the sliding doors, which yeah. is great because it is safer yeah. technically, but it's but you're, freezing indoors. you go indoors. with the mentality that you're eating
0: indoors so you don't, like, are, you're not as prepared to eat. Not at all. A, yeah, it's crazy. But yes, anyways, this is our episode for the week. Definitely tune in for Thursday Top 5. And thank you.